Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Dave Jenkinson continues our series on prayer and addresses the question, How does God want us to pray? And now, here's Dave. Have you been in my shoes? The other day, I parked my vehicle at the local mall and proceeded to know that I had a few cars. I was just a few cars from the door of the mall, and there was a green van on my left and a red sporting sedan on my right. This would be easy to find, I thought. Boy, was I wrong. I entered on the south side of the mall, and by the time I was finished, I had to leave by another exit. And as the mall was closing and the doors and the hallways were being locked, I left the mall on the opposite side of the parking lot, or so I thought. Ah, as I left, I thought, well, this should be easy. Just circle left, and I should come upon my vehicle. And these two cars would make it easy to find. Try as I might, I could not find my vehicle. The two cars must have been gone, and I was totally confused. I finally hailed a friend who said he would drive me around the mall parking until I could spot my van. And after several turns, it became apparent that when I had exited, I had assumed that the mall was a rectangle. Instead, the building was irregular in shape and actually had not four parking lots, but seven. Thus, when I completed two sides of the mall, thinking it was in the back, I had barely moved around the parking area. In addition, my two spotter cars had long left the parking lot. And eventually, after not two turns, but four turns, I came into the parking area where my van sat, lonely and sad, by itself, all alone in the parking area. This was an excellent lesson in learning how not to get lost. And as I entered the van with relief, it was a lesson to never pick a landmark that moves. It also highlighted to never make assumptions about the shape of a building that you're entering. The good news we have this morning is the Bible is a marker that never moves. It's a compass that always points and never varies. 1 Peter 1, 22 25 puts it this way. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which is the gospel which was preached to you. Thus the Bible is that unmovable pillar, the unmovable marker, the permanent standard in every generation by which we live. Have you ever gone to a whiteboard and grabbed the marker and worked away on a particular presentation only to discover that that was permanent marker that you were using, not whiteboard marker. I think you've all been there. I certainly have. It's rather embarrassing. But there's a point to the story, and that is this. The permanent marker that is the Word of God sometimes is uncomfortable for all of us. Because God's word doesn't change, 
we sometimes have a problem with the changing times around us. And the permanence of the Word of God creates some challenges. Some say that the Bible is old-fashioned. It's not with the 21st century. It's antiquated. But the Bible puts it this way about itself. In Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Did you notice that? Every word of God, not just some, not just the ones you like, not just the love passages, not just 1 Corinthians 13, but the hard ones, the ones we don't like, the ones that force us to step outside the box. In Luke 4.4, 4, as Jesus was answering the devil in the temptation scene, he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Do you read the word of God so that every word is important to you? Because it is. All scripture, not some, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. And so... The Bible, although old-fashioned in some ways, is never unable to meet the challenges of this century, the 21st century. But what about the different understandings? You meet people all the time that have different views on what the Scripture says. Oftentimes, we make assumptions that everything that's happening in the Old Testament or even the New Testament Gospels is like just today, minus all the technology and minus all the cell phones and conveniences and everything that we take for granted on the technological side. But people still have weddings, people still get married, people still have families, people still have to pay taxes, people still have the experience of life. But sometimes we make assumptions that are incorrect. We listen to those words of even Jesus who says in the last days it will be just as the days of Noah and of Sodom. And we say, well, these are definitely the last days. And we somehow think that everything then relates. So the topic for today, God wants us to pray how. I, being a bit simple-minded, have taken my hand and, like some others, have said, well, it makes a nice five-point sermon. God wants, God wants, God wants us, God wants us to pray, and God wants us to pray how. And I was thinking about this in review, thinking, well, I guess the best place to go to would be the Bible, <laughs> to look for how to pray. And uh, it's rather interesting when you read the book of Genesis, you find many prayers mentioned because prayer is simply conversation with the Almighty God. Real conversation. Not just, um, I think I'm talking to God, but a God who answers. In fact, the first 15 chapters of Genesis, it's mostly a one-sided conversation. God speaks to Adam and, and the fall in Genesis 3, and there's a bit of conversation from Adam as he makes excuses, but it's pretty one-sided. And as you read the accounts of interaction with God and man for the first 15 chapters of Genesis, you find that man is sort of sitting there in awe of God, and God is speaking to him. But when you get to Genesis 15, something changes. 
Genesis 15.1, I'd like to read for you, says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. And he said, Allow, look to the heavens. Count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, So shall your descendants be. And as Moses is transcribing this passage in Genesis from God, it says this, And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed. He looked. He saw the stars. The greatest thing about summertime, in my view, is being able to walk out on a darkened night and look at the vastness of the cosmos and see the stars. And if you haven't done it yet, you better make that one of your go-to projects because it's amazing. And as you look up at the stars, you suddenly realize how great and how awesome God is that he would take a note of this puny lump of clay that I am. Now, as he said, then he said to him, I am the Lord, verse 7, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know I will inherit it? So he said back to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him and cut them in two, laid them in the middle, and placed them on the upon each opposite the other, and he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. And afterwards... They will come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried at a good old age. Here's an amazing prayer. And what we can learn from this is powerful. First of all, God initiates the prayer. Now, most of the time, it's us initiating prayer with God, isn't it? We have our set times. We have our devotions. We have our morning or evening time that we set apart to be alone with God. This didn't happen this way. God initiated it with Abraham. Have you ever had a moment like that? You should. Prayer is a two-way street. Conversation with the Almighty is never just to be coming from us. And certainly, in this case, it was a bit of a shocker. The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Apparently at nighttime, because he says, go outside and you will see the stars to convince him. Did you notice how long this encounter with the Lord takes? He tells the Lord, tells him that he's going to not only have great descendants and inherit this land, but then he says, and I have something for you to do. You need to go and get some animals for sacrifice. 
Now, what you and I probably don't understand is that when they served a contract up in ancient times, the idea was you would cut an animal in two, first kill it, and then cut it in two, and then separate them, and the two that were going to be in the contractual relationship would hold hands and walk between the animals that were going to be sacrificed. These animals then would be taken jointly by the two that were having the contract and would then be sacrificed. And the word would be, if I break my vow, let me be as one of these sacrifices. This was serious business. And God says, I'm making a serious promise to you. You've asked me to show you how serious I am. And I'm so serious, and so serious, that I'm going to make it extend for this period of time where you have to bring the animals to the sacrifice. But guess what? You don't have to walk between them. And as you read this passage in Genesis 15, it says that the Lord... And it came to pass as the sun went down, verse 17, and it was dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. It was a one-sided covenant. Salvation is a one-sided covenant. Because you can't do enough to keep your salvation. When Jesus went to the cross... He died there in our place. And like this covenant, the keeper of the covenant is not you. It is the Lord himself. And because of that, we can trust him with all our lives. And so God, the God who is, that's where we start with our understanding of prayer. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God. And that's the most powerful four words in the entire universe next to Jesus loves me. And uh, that's three words. Um, next to some of those other phrases, it's a powerful phrase. It's the start of all faith in the Lord. It's so powerful. It's a starting point for God. And his word is forever infallible. And if you don't start at the right point, you can never go the right direction. And so in the beginning, God. God is. But also, God wants. He has desires. God has things that he wants of us. Not like the idol Moloch who would consume babies. Not as the idol Ashtar who was the sexual idol. Not as the idols that were plenteous like the idols to drunkenness and alcohol or the idols. These were idols, actual idols. Um, no. God wants and has desires differently. He shapes us like a potter. In Isaiah 64, verse 8, it says it this way, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. And we are all the work of your hand. And in Jeremiah 18, verse 6, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter says to the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. We have a good friend who is a potter. And some time ago, she asked us to come into her house so we could see her potter's wheel and how she makes the pottery and the kiln. And it's amazing how you can take a lump of clay and turn it into something beautiful like that. 
This is one of her pieces. And that was once a lumpy piece of clay. And that's what God is doing with us. He's taking our lumpiness and shaping it if we will but be soft to his hand. He's taking our blemishes and smoothing them out. He's taking our wrinkles, as it were, and making them into something beautiful. And he's willing to do it if we're willing to let him. The third part, of course, is not only that God wants, but God wants us. I love that because he just wants you. We talk about prayer as being an important priority, and that's what the series is. But more importantly is that God wants you and me. He wants us. In fact, the whole story of the Bible is God is searching for men and women and children to come into his family. The first story of the Lord in Genesis 3. Where are you, Adam? He's searching for Adam after he has sinned. And the whole history to know Jesus is to know that God is searching. God is initiating. Have you heard his call in your life? Zacchaeus heard his call. You ever think about that? Here's Zacchaeus, little tax collector. He's up in the tree thinking he's not seen by anyone, thinking no one knows he's there, but he's got to see Jesus. There's something about this man that's drawn into him. We don't know. Maybe Matthew had an impact on Zacchaeus. We don't know. But we do know this. Jesus had an impact on Zacchaeus. And as Zacchaeus is enjoying the view, Jesus stops, looks up, square into his eyes and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to be your guest tonight. Now, that's a bit impudent, wouldn't you say? I, I've, I've yet had somebody come to my house and say, by the way, you're going to serve me supper tonight. But the king of kings, when he says it, you listen. And I suppose if somebody very famous walked up to your door, knocked on the door and said, uh, I'd like to have supper with you, you would open that door and you would say, welcome. And that's who Jesus is, much bigger and better and more pure than any Hollywood star, than any famous politician, than any inventor, genius or otherwise. He is the Lord God Almighty. And so, where are you, Adam? God is. God wants us. But if he wants us to what? You ever think about that? What does God want of me? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he says, in the prayer that the disciples asked when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. He wants us to affect his will. Now, God is fully able to manage the universe quite well without us. Think of this. He created the world in six days. He started after each day and said, it stated after each day that it is good. He rested on the seventh day. And following that, that's when the troubles began. <laughs> it was good. But he wants us to what? To his, affect his will, to be his willing messengers on this earth. And God wants us to pray. And how is that? We are to pray believing or in faith. Matthew 21, 21 and 22 says it this way. If you have faith and do not doubt, you will say to this fig tree and to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and it will be done. For whatever things you ask in prayer, 
believing, you will receive. We're to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 We're to pray to the Father, not to the ceiling, not to nature, not to idols, not to self, but to the living God. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it this way, If you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Not a confession of words only, but a surrender of heart. There's been so many people who have misunderstood what this verse actually teaches, and they have said, well, I've, I've confessed, and then they proceed to walk in disobedience to God's word. True confession realizes how desperately we need a Savior, and that Savior died for sin. I am not to be a party to going back to the life that I have now left. Repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. So what does prayer do? In 1854, a sailing vessel was becalmed in the vicinity of New Guinea. Seeing the distressed look on the captain's face, Hudson Taylor, a young Englishman, inquired as to the cause of his anxiety. This was the reply. A four-knot current is carrying us swiftly toward those sunken reefs. Our fate seems to be sealed. And on the shores of the island, cannibals are rushing about, lighting fires with great glee. Presently, the captain spoke again. We've done everything that can be done. No, said the young man. There's one thing you haven't done. Four of us on board are Christians. Let's each of us retire to his cabin and agree in prayer to ask the Lord to give us a breeze immediately. This was agreed upon and done. After a few minutes of earnest intercession, the young man came up on deck, confident that his petition had been granted. Finding the first officer, a godless man, in charge, he requested that he let down the corners of the mainsail. What good would that do, the man asked. The young man told him that he and the other threes had been asking God to send a wind, and it was coming immediately, and there was not a minute to lose since they were so near the reefs. With a look of contempt, the officer replied, Nonsense, you can pray up the wind. You can't pray up a wind. But noticing a few moments later the topmost sail was beginning to tremble, he said, Ah, that's only a cat's paw, a mere puff of wind. Never mind what you think, cried the young man. Let down the mainsail quickly. He was not slow to do this, and hearing the heavy tread of men on the deck, the captain came up and saw that the breeze had indeed come, and in a few minutes they were sailing away from those dangerous reefs, much to the disappointment of the native cannibals who were still on the beach. Writing of this, the young man said, Thus God encouraged me before landing on China's shores to bring every variety of need to him in prayer and to expect that he would honor the name of the Lord Jesus and give him help, which each emergency required. And so Hudson Taylor was a man of prayer. But finally, in forgiveness, we need to pray. And whatever you stand praying, if you have anything against another, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespass. And if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespass. Mark 11:25. Let me challenge those of us who have been walking religion, but not Christ. If you want a test for true faith, ask yourself this question. Is there any person anywhere 
who has offended me that I still do not forgive. If you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. This is clear. This is a test to show you whether you have received forgiveness. For only those who have received forgiveness can forgive in return. And one of the tests that I've had in my own life prior to becoming a genuine believer was I had much unforgiveness in my heart and bitterness and anger. And the Bible is clear. If you have forgiveness in your heart, you haven't been forgiven. Unforgiveness in your heart, I should say. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, you have not received his genuine forgiveness. Ephesians 4.31 puts it this way. Forgive one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Wow. These are some of the tests of prayer and how to pray. We could go on. The Bible has more to say. But I want to end on this point before we have our final hymn. Some of us treat God like fast food outlets. We come up to the Lord, and like we would be driving through a fast food outlet, we roll down the, the window of our prayer closet. We look across or up and say, Lord, I'd like a hamburger with fries, shake, make it with all the trimmings, and we put our order to God like a fast food order. We don't know the person at the other end of that, that speaker. We have no knowledge of who they are. They're just responding to us. But a few minutes later, as we drive through, there's our little bag of food, and we make the transaction, and we're on our way. And some of us treat prayer like that. God will never be a self-service waiter like that. Oh yes, he is the servant of all. He is the suffering servant, but he will never play second fiddle to you or me. And so if this is the way your prayer life is, I hope and pray that this challenge today will have gone to your heart and you will say, time to change in my prayer life. And if you're one of those who has bitterness and unforgiveness and you've never truly received the gift of grace, salvation, then we invite you to make this the day of salvation. Behold, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Our prayer today is that you're not walking in the counsel of all that's going on around about us, but instead we're coming to the Lord, coming to his word, and taking directions from him. Abraham did so. He was called a friend of God. Job had a long line of lessons that he had to learn. Noah simply obeyed and saved his family. But the point in all this is that prayer is two-way. We talk Yes, we implore, we beseech, we cry out to the Lord. But if God is not hearing you and God is not answering, then the question is why? He hears his children when they call. So the question is, are you his child? May each one of us go this way today, 
convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are His and He is ours. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time together. Lord, go with us as we move forward in this week. We are Your children. We are called to be lights in this dark land. Lord, help us to be cheerful lights, joyous lights. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And Lord, as we leave this place, may we not be just leaving a place, but we may be going hand in hand with you. And we give you our thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.